0: Well, thank you, praise team, for leading our singing this morning. I, I don't visit a lot of churches, obviously, but I would, I, I, uh, I hear from people who attend our church or visit our church or move to the area and start coming to our church that uh, very few churches sing like this church sings, and I know that uh, your singing, your voice, maybe not your specific voice, is a pleasing offering. (laughs) I was talking about me there, okay? Uh, Pleasing offering to our great God. Turn your Bibles, please, to Isaiah in chapter 40. So uh, Isaiah in chapter 40, we're looking kind of at the whole chapter, but really focusing on uh, 28 through 31 this morning. Next week, we will begin a series through 2 Corinthians. So that's where we're kind of headed for several months of this year. But today we are in Isaiah chapter 40. When our kids were young, when they were in elementary school, and frankly, even in middle school, both Amy and I tried to make it a habit to regularly go and eat with them at their school. Even still today, Amy is better at this than than I am, especially this past year, of of making an effort to go and eat either with Anison at the middle school or meet Garrison somewhere for lunch, even though he's in high school. When kids are in elementary school, they don't have long lunch breaks. Now, it's been a while since we've had kid in elementary school, but if I remember correctly, uh, the lunch period was like 20 minutes long. And this means that you have to have a lot of pre-planning in order to get there and have lunch with your child. I I, I remember like, okay, you gotta gotta know what the child wants and then you gotta make time to go pick up, get to the restaurant, pick up the food and then get back to the school all so that you can enjoy a hurried lunch with your child, right? That's just how it works. In fact, Parents have struggles with this. They have struggles getting there on time. I think it was when Jackson was in elementary school, the the school came out with a new rule that said if the parent doesn't arrive by such and such a time, then they have to go through the lunch line. So if you don't get there in time with the meal, then you have to, the child has to go through a lunch time. Now, we all love cafeteria meals, all right? However, when your heart is set on Chick-fil-A or Sharky's, those fish sticks from the cafeteria don't go over to well at that point. Waiting can be tough. Waiting can be tough. And while children may grow impatient while waiting for their parent to arrive, what keeps that child's spirits up is that they know, he or she knows the parent, right? She's confident that dad will show up because dad has always showed up. He's confident that mom will show up because mom loves him, and wouldn't abandon him. As we begin Focus Week 2024, we turn our attention to Isaiah and chapter 40, a familiar passage. Every year we put forth this focus, and I already mentioned what it was, but our, our overall mission, Trinity Baptist Church, exists to proclaim Christ to make disciples who, claim Christ, who proclaim Christ all for the glory of Christ. But we are now focusing on where are we this year? We want to be the church that recognizes our weakness and relies on God to live fruitful lives. Now, you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with waiting for parents to show up with lunch? Well, maybe it has something to do with it. We wait on the Lord, we're gonna read here in a minute, and we renew our strength. But the idea of waiting isn't just watching the minutes tick by on a clock. It's about trusting the God that we know. It's about depending on his character and following his word. Now, I know a kid waiting for a parent to show up with lunch is a minor thing, but in life, we are called to wait upon the Lord often. And this takes faith in the good, powerful, and gracious character of our God. So let's jump to the text, if you will, please stand as we read God's word. We'll begin in verse 27, and we'll read through verse 31, Isaiah in chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, they shall walk and not faint. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so, so thankful for the promises that it contains. We're so thankful that though we are weak, you are strong and that you give grace and that your grace is sufficient. Even now as we look to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive it that we would understand and that we would apply and that we would be changed because your spirit is at work through your word. God, move in this place even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, first this morning, we wait on the Lord when times are tough. Wait on the Lord when times are tough. Isaiah was God's spokesman to the southern kingdom of Israel, to Judah. Maybe for about 50 years or so, from the 740 BC range to about the 680 BC range. And he warned Judah of God's impending judgment if they continue to remain in their sin, if they continue to rebel against God's will and God's ways. Now, just for a little context here, Isaiah prophesied during the period when Assyria was growing in power and in dominance. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel, its capital Samaria fell to Assyria. And during that time, Isaiah was warning Judah, move away from your sin, turn back to the Lord. Now, 20 or so years later, after the northern kingdom had fallen, Sennacherib Sennacherib was leading Assyria, and he came to Jerusalem, and he was surrounding Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was on the brink of destruction. Jerusalem was going to fall, and Isaiah was prophesying even then. This is recorded for us in 2 Kings 18-19, but also in Isaiah and chapter 37. And these record how God miraculously saved Judah, from Assyria as King Hezekiah, the king of Judah at the time, prayed to the Lord. Then we move to 2 Kings chapter 20 and Isaiah chapter 39 and Hezekiah is so excited about what God has done. So excited about the deliverance that God has, has given to his people and even in his own personal life that he invites these convoys from Babylon to come and to have a tour of Judah. And he showed them all the riches and he showed them all the wonderful things in in, in Judah there. Now, to this, Isaiah warns King Hezekiah, look, a day is coming. A day is coming when these same Babylonians will come and they will destroy Jerusalem and they will carry off all these riches and the people will be exiled because of your sin. Chapter 39 is a prophecy of doom. Chapter 40 is a prophecy of hope. A prophecy of comfort with its recognizable open comfort. Comfort comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But the problem is the people weren't hearing it. The people weren't believing it. Look again at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. See, the people here are in a bad place. They feel as though God has abandoned them, has left them. They feel like God is playing hide and seek with them. They're questioning God's love. There's no comfort here, even though the prophet Isaiah is seeking to comfort them now it's again uh, important to remember that isaiah is prophesying about something that would happen and what we know would happen and did happen in 587 bc babylonians came and they destroyed jerusalem and they carried off the people into exile the people of god conquered jerusalem destroyed and in verse 27 a prophecy of what's going to take place even though they're exiled because of their own rebellion, they're lamenting their plight. They felt hopeless, they felt powerless, they felt alone, they felt abandoned, they felt as though they had no hope. They were afraid, they were broken, they were uncertain. And I wonder today how many people in this room feel the same way. I wonder today how many people could say, "I." I don't know what's going on in my life. Uh, Everything seems uncertain. I'm I'm anxious about the news that's gonna come down the wire and I I don't really know what to do and, and I feel like everything's breaking. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's tragedy. Maybe it's a broken marriage or maybe it's rebellious children. Maybe it's financial ruin or just uncertainty about the times. Maybe it's the world scene. Maybe it's wars. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's the loss of someone close to you. Maybe it's the betrayal of a friend. What is it that has us wondering about life right now? What is it that is tempting us to even question God? As if he isn't caring for us. As if he doesn't care for you. And you pray, but sometimes it seems like God isn't listening. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Friends, we live in a fallen and a sin-broken world and life is not easy And trials and difficulties will come upon us and some of us are going through the thick of those trials right now. And hear this, it is all exacerbated by human weakness and frailty. And none of us is immune. In fact, Isaiah alludes to this idea of human frailty. Would you flip back to the beginning of Isaiah, chapter 40, actually verses six and seven. Isaiah speaking for God. A voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. What is God through Isaiah telling the people? He's telling them that they're weak. He's telling them that they're feeble. He's telling them that they are frail. Like the candles that we light during the Advent season that are so easily snuffed out, our lives can be easily snuffed out in a moment. Wars and famine and disease and accidents, life is fleeting. James says it's like a vapor. It's here one moment and then it's gone the next. And because we are powerless against so many of the things that befall us, friends, we must wait on the Lord. And here's the good news, he invites us to find hope in him, he invites us to experience grace in him. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians highlights human weakness and God's power. Uh, throughout the letter, Paul is going to recall all these trials and difficulties and, and tribulations that he has experienced for the sake of the gospel. And he recites his difficulties and his struggles, but he is doing more than that. Actually, he is boasting in them. Why? Why would Paul choose to boast in his weaknesses? Well, let me just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, Paul writing of this vision that he has. So God is saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we believe that? He's boasting in his weakness. Now, friends, in times of extreme trial and difficulty in our life, we come face to face with how weak and how frail we are. We realize that we do not have what it takes, but God's grace is sufficient. When we realize our weakness and we wait on the Lord, then God moves. And his power is made perfect in us in weakness, in our weaknesses. Now, while every word of what Paul has to say here is true, we have to be careful about how we interpret what that power actually looks like. Does it mean victory over every sin all the time? Does it mean incredible and miraculous displays of the Holy Spirit? Does it mean that people get saved just because they look at you? Does it mean that there's no more suffering in life? No. In fact, when we look at Paul's life, I would say that it means fruitfulness for God's glory according to his will. The power that Paul experienced is for fruitfulness for God's glory according to God's will. When we recognize our weakness and we rely on God, we will live fruitful lives for his glory. And that'll look different for every one of us. But that is the ultimate outcome. Which brings us to the second point. We wait on the Lord because of who He is. We wait on the Lord because of who He is. So back in uh, let me get there back in Isaiah and chapter 40, let's look at verse 28. "Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So the people are complaining, God's forgotten me. And Isaiah is saying to them, wait a minute. Our God doesn't forget you. This is who he is. He's everlasting. In fact, this verse, 28, actually kind of summarizes all these different things that Isaiah is pointing out about the character of God in the whole chapter. He's the everlasting God, right? He has no beginning or, or no end. He is nothing like the idols of the nations, which are creations of their own hands. That's verse 19 of Isaiah 40. I'm the creator of the ends of the earth, right? And as creator, I'm in charge, God is saying. Nothing gets past him. He rules all things, verse 10. I'm all powerful and nothing compares to me, verse 17, verses 22 through 23. And by the way, I'm not like you, i don't grow weary i don't have limitations beyond that i'm all wise god says my understanding is unsearchable i'm never in need of wisdom in perfect wisdom i laid the foundations of the earth and my laws and my ways are perfect verses 12 through 14 So this verse 28 is summarizing what God has to say about himself throughout the entire chapter and there's a reason for it. The reason is because he wants to encourage, he wants to comfort his people with his character, with who he is. So whether this reminder comes as a rebuke or not, God wants his people to remember who he is. He wants them to consider their situation in light of reality in light of what is ultimately true. Oh, how we can be guilty of losing sight of God when times are tough. We can get so bent out of shape because we forget that God is good and powerful and that he is for us and not against us. We forget that our God is purposeful in everything that he allows into our lives and that he is always shaping us if we are in Christ for his glory, for our good. Now, if we forget who God is, or if our view of God is flawed, then crisis rules the moment. And I know what we're thinking in here. Everything Isaiah writes about God is true, but terrible things still happen to people. Even to people who are following Jesus closely. How can that be? Right? That's what some of us are thinking in this room. But let's not forget that the terrible things that happen to God's children can't change the reality of our eternal security in Christ and that God has proven his love for us in Christ. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter four, verses 16 through 18. Paul is discuss some trials and tribulations and he says so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal here's the thing no one in this room likes to suffer. None of us would sign up and say, yeah, just, just give it to me, I'll, I'll take it. None of us would. We, we like comfort. I like comfort. In fact, one of the things that plagues us as sinners is that we like comfort so much that we make an idol out of comfort, that we make an idol out of ease. So my prayer for myself and for us collectively is that we would... Learn to hope not in the things that are seen, not in the present experiences because they're transient, but into the things that are unseen, to the eternal, to the reality of our hope that comes through Christ, the eternal hope, the future that is stored up for those who are in Him. Now, Of course, it's not just God's transcendent realities or transcendent characteristics and qualities that Isaiah reminds us about in this chapter. Look back in Isaiah 40, and let's look at verse 11. We'll start in verse 12. Behold, excuse me, we'll start in verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Well, what is that reward? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, close to his heart, and gently lead those who are with young. Here's the good news. The good news is that our God is like a shepherd who tends to his flock, who gathers his people and who carries them and who leads them. And why does he do this? Because he knows we're weak. Because we know, he knows we need a shepherd. He knows we need something outside of ourselves to care for us and to move us in the right direction, right? The God who created and upholds the galaxies upholds his weary people. As the song says, this is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. He bore the cross. He beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away? Faith so weak that we could barely pray, but he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the wilderness, they tell the story of his faithfulness. Never once did he fail, and he never will. This is our God. When I am weak, he is strong. His power through my weakness. He carries us in his arm, close to his heart. Finally, wait on the Lord and experience his grace. Wait on the Lord and experience his grace. Because of our inherent frailty and weakness and because our God is majestic in his nature, we are to wait on the Lord and there is great reward in waiting. Verse 29 states that he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So how does this happen? What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, to wait on the Lord is to trust his character and to rest in what he says. It involves patience, but it's more. It's trusting God and living for him. It's not a passive waiting. It's not a mindless activity that we just try to, you know, distract ourselves so we can get through the day. No, it's actively depending on knowing, believing, trusting, and obeying him, right? Waiting on the Lord involves obeying him. I just started uh, Spurgeon's devotional, uh, Besides Still Waters. We spent a few weeks in Genesis chapter 22, where God instructs Abraham to go and to sacrifice Isaac. Sacrifice his only son, the son that he loves? Now, Abraham knew that Isaac was the child of promise because God had made that clear to him yet he obeyed God he took his son uh, servants there and they got to the mount to the base of the mountain they said we're going to go up here we're going to worship and we're going to come back down and and you know the son Isaac is carrying the wood on his back and Abraham puts him on the altar and he's got his knife and at that moment God says stop God provides the alternate sacrifice, the ram that's caught in the thicket. Abraham waited on God, and his waiting is seen in his obedience to God. But waiting on God also involves a deep trust in God. I want you to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, those from Daniel in chapter three, the friends of Daniel who were, uh, who were there and who would not listen to King Nebuchadnezzar's Nebuchadnezzar's edict to worship his giant golden statue. Chapter three, verses 15 through 18. They wouldn't do it, they wouldn't worship, so now he's telling them, these three servants, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace and who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands Shadrach Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king "O Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Friends, this is deep trust in who God is. This is waiting on the Lord. In the midst of difficulty, they obeyed the Lord and they trusted God. They trusted their God to deliver them if it so be God's will to do so. But they were ready to die. Here's the problem. Most of us aren't good at waiting on the Lord. Rather than trust and obey, we'd often like to find a different way. Even if our way takes us further away from God. We want to run to what is easy. We want to run to what is comfortable. We want to run to something that we think we can control. We can be guilty of putting our hope in things that we can see. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23, is all too relevant. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his prize. But isn't that what we do too often? I can handle it. I know what to do. I can figure it out. Wait on the Lord. I mean, I, I know what to do in this situation. I know how to get through this. Wait on the Lord. I'm just gonna muscle through it. I'm strong enough, I can handle this. Wait on the Lord, well, I mean, you know, I have some funds, I can, I can make things happen, I can go my way, so we wanna, we wanna put our hope in the things that we can control or we think that we can control rather than wait on the Lord. And this is nothing but human pride. This is where the world finds confidence but human pride gets us nowhere. Our greatest wisdom cannot figure out God's ways. Our greatest wisdom cannot keep us from making a mess of our relationships. Our greatest wisdom can't cure all diseases. Our greatest strength cannot keep us from emotional pain and loss. Our greatest strength can't keep us from wars and calamities. Our greatest strength can't keep the tears from falling when we are broken and hurting. Our greatest riches can't secure our deepest needs. Our bank accounts can't buy us significance, true, lasting significance, and they can't restore our health. Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of God may rest upon me. Friends, all of our hope is in God's grace. All of our hope and through the prophet isaiah god says that those who wait on the lord will renew their strength verse 31 literally those who wait on the lord will exchange their strength they'll replace their excuse me they'll exchange their weaknesses they'll replace their weakness with god's strength and that's a great promise why because our weaknesses are all encompassing right our weariness is so evident we're limited emotionally and spiritually and mentally and physically We're weak and we know it. And we try to hide our weaknesses so often, but deep down we have our fears and we all suffer in various ways. So church, let's embrace our weakness. There's no reason to hide from it. There's no reason to run from it. It's who we are. John Calvin writes, if our hearts are not deeply moved by a conviction of our weakness, we cannot receive seasonal assistance from God. So instead... Let's confess our weakness, our fears, our frailty to God, and let's wait on Him. And let's ask Him for grace. And let's look to Him for energy and passion and devotion. Let's trust Him to make the way. Let's trust Him to move. Let's trust Him to accomplish in us and through us what we could never accomplish in our own strength. Remember, John 15, he is divine. We are the branches apart from him. We can do nothing. Now, I want to finish with a word to those who are feeling overwhelmed right now. As if God is silent, or he's turned his back on you, or you just are completely overwhelmed with life and everything that's taking place right now. If you are in Christ, friend, then you can be confident that God has not left you, that he is near to you, that he loves you and he cares for you deeply. And while it may feel as though God is far from you, he's not. The Puritans spoke of seasons in life characterized by times of spiritual dryness. And God doesn't seem to be there he seems distant. Thomas Brooks wrote, God sometimes hides himself that we may cleave the closer to him and hang the faster upon him. In other words, what Thomas Brooks is getting at is there are times in life when God's manifest presence is, is, isn't there. Like God is there, but we don't experience the sweetness of his fellowship. We don't experience the, the, the power or the, 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 the presence of, of our God. In a way that seems to uplift us. And in those times, what Brooks is saying is God is, is removing that manifest presence so that we might seek Him all the more, so that we may hold on to Him all the more, that we might cry out to Him. Now, listen, if you find yourself in such a season, then wait on the Lord. Continue to pursue Him, continue to trust Him. Continue to obey him, draw near to him. He's not far. His promise is to be with you always. And our only hope for a life of fruitfulness is to wait on God and to rely on him. And he promises renewed strength and energy for all who will continue to draw near to him and wait on him. And friend, all this comes through Jesus, the good shepherd, The one who tends his flock, who laid down his life for the sheep that they may have life. Back in Isaiah in chapter 40, verses three through five, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What Isaiah proclaims here, John the Baptist echoes as it's John the Baptist whose is the voice in the wilderness that prepares the way of the Lord. All the synoptic gospels include this same thing and attribute it to John the Baptist and he's pointing us to Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus Jesus. Ultimately, through, it's through faith in Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that our weakness is replaced with strength, his strength. In Jesus, our sinfulness is replaced with righteousness, his righteousness. In Jesus, our guilty standing is replaced with a perfect standing, his perfect standing. In Jesus, our Failure is replaced with victory, his victory. In Jesus, our fears are replaced with confidence, and it's all because of him. As we transition to a time of surrender and reflection, my prayer is that as we enter this year, we will be a church filled with people who are not ashamed of our frailty and weakness, but who rely on God. That that frailty and weakness, knowing it, will drive us to rely on, to depend on, and to seek our God. And even though we don't feel worthy, we would live boldly as children of God. Even though we've experienced failure, we would persevere by God's grace. Even though we've sinned, we would confess it and live in righteousness and the freedom that Jesus purchased for us. This morning, if you have questions about what it means to know this God, if you have questions about what it means to be held by this God, come forward during our time of invitation during this next song and we'd love to connect with you about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can know forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Perhaps there's some in this room who just need prayer, We'd love to pray with you up here. We'll have staff members up here. You're certainly welcome to pray right where you are, maybe with a friend or a family member that you're sitting with there. If you have questions about baptism or about church membership or maybe about something that's going on in your life, we would love to counsel with you and connect with you about those things as well. God is at work, and we're trusting that God will work in 2024 as we recognize our frailty and weakness and rely on him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for this first Lord's Day of 2024. And I pray that in the midst of this time that you will have been present, and we trust that you were, and that you will be working in our hearts and our lives, changing us and transforming us and making us new, making us what we are not for your glory. God, would you do a marvelous a marvelous thing amongst us this year. Would you move in undeniable ways because you are a good and a glorious God and worthy of all the glory. We trust you. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and would you respond as God leads?